0: Baby, when I met you, there was peace unknown. I set out to get you with a fine tooth comb. I was soft inside. There was something going
1: on.
0: You do something to me that I can't explain. Hold me closer and I feel no pain. Every beat of my heart, we got something going on. Oh, yeah. Tender love is blind. It requires a dedication. All this love, we feel no need conversation. We ride it together. Uh Uh-huh. Making love with each other. Uh Uh-huh. In the stream, that is what we are. No one in between. How can we go wrong? Fail away with me to another place. And we rely on each other. Uh Uh-huh. From one cover to another. Uh Uh-huh. Does does anyone remember that that cover song was covered by, um, was it the guy from the Fugees who wasn't Wyclef? He had a song for the Bullworth soundtrack? Am I right? Does that make sense? Does that sound like anything? I'm going to see if I can find the song I'm referring to. I think I might be right. Ghetto Superstar. That was it. Who did Ghetto Superstar,
1: though? And
0: <laughs> Proz was in the Fugees. Oh, shit, I was right but was it in the Boltworth soundtrack? Holy fuck, yes, it was. I remembered all of that correctly. Man. Wow. That's what I've got in my head instead of anything remotely useful for any other human being. It's pretty funny. I sacrificed all of my uh, all of my hit points in every other category. And honestly, it was a very inefficient choice. Uh, probably wouldn't do it again if I had the cho- the chance. But uh, you know, what are you going to do? We 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 are what we are. And I am min maxed to the hilt. All I can do is remember crap that happened. I have any actual skills? Okay, so today we're going to say, we're going to finally reveal which China book we're going to be doing. Now, I got to say, I feel a little bad about this because I realized after I asked people to like give me their recommendations that I actually already had a China book that I got on my Kindle a while ago. I, it had been recommended to me, I think by Dan Denver. And so I was like, oh, I'll check this out. And it was short. and That really appealed to me. So it's like it's like hundred. It's almost it's like under two hundred pages, I think. Uh, and I honestly think, since I don't know that much to start off with about modern China, that uh, going general and vague is probably for the best way to start. You know, if we wanted to talk about something more specific, we could we could get, pull one of those longer works that people have been recommending to me. But anyway, this book is called "The China Boom: Why China Will Not Rule the World." So, spoiler alert there for all the people who've been asking, will China take over for the United States as the new global hegemon? The book seems to be arguing, well not. I tend to agree. I uh, tend to think that whatever comes after uh, American hegemony will be uh, post-hegemonic. And so China will, it will not uh, risk re- it will not re the global supply chain. It will instead be one of those structures that um, exists to administer crisis capitalism after the breakdown of the uh, the political technological and logistical supply chains that make modern world capitalism possible so that means China is every it's every country for themselves so China is not going to come to the rescue I think that's what people kind of wonder when they say, like, will China take over? They they imagine, will China rescue us? Like, we see the coming conflict with China basically the same way with, that the right and liberals do, which is this in, in, inevitable conflict. The only difference is we think <clears throat> they're the good guys, right? It's like, no, this is just like what Steve Bannon and, uh, and, and Joe Biden say. China is on a collision course with the United States. The question is, who should we be rooting for? And this book seems to be arguing, and we'll see as we read it. They're not going to be in a position uh, to make that kind of play. They're going to be too busy keeping themselves uh, in, in on top of the increasingly teetering social structures that are going to come under deeper and deeper um, crisis. Crisis is the name of the game. I mean, capitalism is always in crisis. I would argue, actually, uh, that class society is always in crisis because of the inherent conflict between uh, classes that drives everything. And I do believe that Marx. This is the. Cent- I think this is the central insight of Marx. It's the uh, atomic splitting of the. It's the splitting of the atom that makes everything else make sense. Because all of a sudden, stuff that has been like had been processed by the Enlightenment uh, in one context uh, uh, can be looked at from, a, from an angle and notice oh, all this stuff that you're claiming is uh, inherent in human uh, history inherent to the to human animal. Uh, all that stuff is generated by the fact that somebody is working for somebody else. And that that puts a dagger in the heart of social solidarity. And that that rift has to be managed. And that is the crisis that defines all class society. And the way that it produces crisis is that it always must seek uh, to expand, to accompany for the fact that its internal structure is being eroded. Like, conquest is what maintains these power regimes. Because over time, they become stagnant and lead to a a, a revolt. It is social pressure. This is like the magma coming up through the tectonic plates. And it has to be managed. And that everything that we think of, religious, culturally, social, all of our values, our notions of language and nation, identity itself, are premised on structures that grow out of the need to manage these crises, and what keeps crisis what keeps final crisis at bay is expansion and the history of society, history of settled human uh, agricultural hierarchical societies that emerged. We've talked about how this happened with uh, the grow book. Uh, I think that it is very much a thing. You had a relatively harmonious uh, social structure where, because of the superfluidity of land relative to humans, allowed people to really resist any real authority. Nobody could actually make anybody do anything for a sustained period of time. You could conquer somebody and kill them or something. You could kick them off land. But you could not um, make them, like maintain a regime of subservience because they could just go somewhere else. And I think that, and, and because they had the ability, like, these are people who had, um, these are people who lived, like, in close relationship to their environment, gained their food, not through abstract uh, actions that then are given, like, a value form, but, but by uh, by their own hand. And they could always feed themselves on the land as well as, the, you know, it's better to be together in groups for some reasons, but it's not essential. And that that, that was an equilibrium. Like that's going to create society. It's going to create culture, but it's not going to produce what we think of as, uh, as cult, as society because it does not leave the same structural remnants, the ornamental features of society in which some people are sitting around while other people are doing work. And that is what means, that's what we, when looking back on the historical record, that is what we see as civilization. And it emerges exactly when settled agricultural social structures emerge. we can talk about why that specifically happened. I think Grow actually trace it out perfectly correctly. It's just they don't see the implications of what they have uh sketched out. What they're what they're sketching what they sketch out is the notion that so you have these people living in there's conflict within them, of course, they're humans. But it is not a class conflict, because there is not a felt class distinction. Then, more people show up. People start moving around. They start bumping into each other. The best land gets taken. The best place for humans to thrive are found. The place where you can get the most back for the least work, which is what people are looking for. We all want to work less for our, our survival, because why work more? We don't have a weird religious structure around work the way that you do have to have in class society, where it is like a ritual inscription. It's just stuff we all do. So why would you want to do more of it? So the, the lowland places, the places by uh, where, where you could do agriculture without planting. You could just throw some seeds down and then the uh, rising river tides or would come in and irrigate it for you. You wouldn't need to use any, you wouldn't have to build a fucking windmill or or have aqueducts or shit and you wouldn't even have to, as I said, plant. You could just leave the fucking seeds. And then boom, you have a supplement to it to a uh to a diet. But then enough people show up and oh, you gotta work a little harder. You're motivated now because your social group to maintain its cohesion has to work a little harder. And that means more unpleasant labor, more stuff that sucks to do. Well, how do you determine who is gonna do it? And this is the where we create the rituals of uh, of the ritual religious uh, uh, world wherein our labors have an abstract relationship. They render us subservient to some uh, uh, totalizing uh, other that we are worshipful of. A God. God is co with us. Now, the people who I mean, there's God everywhere. Every, every God is inherent in every system, just how it's translated from the people within it. Uh, and for them, they had a God, but it was not this abstracted principle that people had to bring themselves subservient to. And that is why you see that so many of these agricultural regimes are brought into being through mass ritual bloodshed. This is especially true in China. The basis of Agricultural society in China were these uh, early societies that were carrying out massive, almost industrial scale uh, um, um, uh, sacrifices of enemy captives in war. And that inscribed this this hierarchy, you know, that blood, it, it, it sanctified everyone's place in society. And that allows class class society to continue because now that contradiction between one class and the other, it has been obfuscated. It has been broken up because now you have God in there vindicating their place in society, making them necessarily seek value in the work they do do. And therefore inscribing it with meaning because they have to. Because they're now being compelled, but they still have, you know, this divine that they want to connect to, so they have to do something. The thing they do has to mean something. And that is what everybody seeks under class society is the best thing is to be able to do work that means something. And it does not, is not at someone else's direction. But a class society needs that. And conflict between class societies is what sharpens it. And how did it start? Before you got there, you had, according to Graham Grove, you had proto-egalitarian societies in the uh, Mesopotamian Valley. You also had hunter-gatherer societies that did like uh, feasting cycles, and where they would build temporary hierarchies, but then would disperse into total egalitarian lifestyles outside of those timeframes. When it was basically a played-at, ritualized uh, sense of identity, uh, because the snakes were not there, because class uh, conflict did not define those societies. And what they did is they created this first bureaucratic state where, like, like uh, the fucking Kineoform was invented to figure out how to distribute communal uh, uh, products. Uh, the giant warehouses were the centers of these, uh, these cities. And within them, you see the cataloging of these mass-produced items of life, like olive oil and wheat and shit, to be distributed. And you don't see the sort of uh, priestly palaces uh, and 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 vast displays of ornamental wealth either. And so that becomes a stable equilibrium. But here's the thing: everybody who encounters this world is now encountering a world where they have to reso- uh, uh, resolve the conflict between their own individual sense of self uh, uh, and and. Conception of the world, way of being, and the one imposed—the one that we all have to agree to when you have a society—and that the people who are going to get pushed out. And again, there's still enough room that even though there's now greater concentrations in these uh, more uh, desirable areas, the more arid, the less, the 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 more difficult to live in areas are still available if you don't like what's going on in these early egalitarian. Uh, Urban areas. Who gets pushed out? Chads. People who want to, uh, uh, young men mostly, who want to assert their will in the world due to their fucking testosterone. Let's just boil it down to that. Like the 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 surge within the male of these species towards a will to power, the grasping of it. That is something that is deeper. You could argue than class conflict, because now we're talking about the individual's subjective experience of the world, and the fact that there's another there's a world outside that we're all creating through mutual collaboration, and the the thing that makes you want to want to collaborate. What's wrong? Oh, shit, is, the, is my audio not correctly plugged in?
1: What is Does that sound better? Ah, oh, shit.
0: Well, I don't know. I don't know. I got this thing plugged in. Rever- reverb, I don't know. I don't know how that... God damn it. This sucks. I don't know how to check the I'll just unplug this thing and plug it back in. What about this? Can you hear that? Is it just is it better over the Is this better? I'm just doing it through the worse oh, Jesus fucking Christ. Well, congratulations! I have absolutely no idea what the fuck I was talking about. <sighs> Thank you very much. I have no idea what I was talking about. <sighs> oh, fuck! God damn it! Whatever. So that you're going to have <clears throat> in a in one of these egalitarian, unsettled societies. Those guys, they can submit themselves to the ritualized state that these societies have, right? On a, on, a, uh, on a seasonal level. Like you come together for the fair, and then you've got cops, you've got uh games, war, you know, that kind of stuff. And it gets off, it gets that energy out somewhere. It it uh blows off the steam. Uh And then you can go back and live, you know, as bands and and not submit to anybody's authority because there's so much land that nobody has to fight, really. Especially since those rituals create this kin relationship. You might stumble onto somebody else's uh, area, but you're part of the same kin group. Like they talk about how in early American societies, you had these uh, clan systems that didn't correspond to geography. They were spread throughout entire regions because you would have people all over the place claiming the same symbols. And where do those symbols gain meaning? In these ritualized structures of state. But once you get settled, there's no place for it. There's not... If there's not war with an external enemy, what are you supposed to do with that energy? And, you know, you can do sports, uh, but for some people, it's not going to be enough. And so what's going to uh, uh, create be created as a uh, as an antithesis to the thesis here emerging of, okay, we have to have some sort of extractive relationship to our environment and some sort of hierarchical distribution of labor, because that is key here. You cannot, you in order to make, in order to compete with other social formations doing the same thing, uh, settled society means not only are you doing more labor, but that labor will be, unequally distributed, because it's the only way to um, I mean, it's the only way to gain the value-add of, like, it being a social
1: product. So you you see settling in the hinterlands,
0: uh, a different culture, a a uh, a warrior culture, a culture around going out and fighting other groups of young men, and the societies that emerge out of that, the Kurgan societies that have been theorized, end up just steamrolling the early uh, um, the early kind of quasi anarchist uh, uh, city states and then they take them over and then dominate them from the top. And that's where you see in in early Mesopotamian society the shift from these big communal warehouses and, like, minimal uh, 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 pageantry and and, and ornament to this massively ornamental military dictatorship, which happens when the guys out fighting each other, some of the, the ones who do the best live the longest, they bring, gather around them the most uh, followers. They procreate. I mean, you literally create this this uh, genetic hot, this evolutionary hot house. The way the finches' beaks uh, start changing uh, within a few generations
1: in the Galapagos, and then that that
0: time, then as soon as those regimes take power, now you have the thesis that has now emerged, which is these uh, social structures and notions of work and responsibility and religious life that had been kindled in a kind of pre-class society where, like, social hierarchy existed, but it did not confer social status. And then, and that is when the people who, the, the step people, the people who go out to stay In conflict with the world and with each other. They're gonna always come back and jack your shit, which is what undermines the entire stupid thesis of stupid grade growth stupid book. They make this beautiful argument that I think really really helped me get my head around a lot of like how human history is 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 evolved. It's been tremendously helpful. I'm really glad, glad I read it. But they just they point out that this order existed before the imposition of class society. Therefore, we can do anything we want. And it's like, no, man. As soon as that society, those societies became uh, uh, complex enough, and over time, complexity is going to emerge. You can't stop that with all of your anarchism. Because size is going to continue. Populations are going to grow. Demands on resources are going to grow, which means the amount of effort, labor, that the human body is going to have to do to extract more calories from the world as more people are born into it. That's the challenge of getting a social human animal in a homeostatic relationship with its environment. And class society, once it emerges, drives a stake into its own heart because in order to operate, it has to assume the conditions that it was generated under. Like, if we do this, we get this amount of tribute that fuels our system that lubricates the gears, that keeps it going and growing. But as time goes on, because you're just in, uh, sublimating your, sub, sub, dem, destroying your environment to
1: eat up the consumption of more and more people. And that is putting social pressure. How do we keep
0: in competition with each other, because here's the thing: we are the social animal, but we are divided into tribes, groups along those symbols. Those symbols that had helped us learn why it is good to work, you know, why it is good to to uh, be obligated to your fellow man, like the, the a vocabulary of like deep religious truth, and that is grafted on top of a uh, a religious system that instead codifies. A uh, class rule, and and uh, and what that means is that as your relationship to the environment destabilizes over time, because right, you're 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 extracting X every year, right? But Y is going away; it's being destroyed in the process. Yes, there is some regeneration, but over time, this is just basic Malthusianism. But it's true over time you outstrip. Your environment. And then you can solve that if you don't want to change how your system works. You can solve that by getting more. Deepening, ex- deepening exploitation. Deepening the amount of labor people have to do. Forcing them to do more labor. And this is how you get slave societies. Oh,
1: here are people who we don't have to treat like people. And that supercharges your ability
0: to expr- extract and therefore compete with other social formations, but the whole time this machine is running on borrowed time because eventually any system reaches its uh, its extent. It's re- it's ability because at, at this point we're talking about discrete social formations like empires occupying specific ge- geographic areas and being bound by them, and they reach a certain point where they can no longer expand because there are other powers there around them that are closer, more concentrated, closer to their own supply lines and and base of power, that they can resist your uh, overthrow, or they can resist your reach. You cannot extend it beyond that geographic center, be it Rome or Istanbul or Beijing
1: or whatever. And when they reach that point, it's only a matter of time.
0: Droughts are going to, there's going to be more droughts. There's going to be more uh, famine. Uh, there's going to be plagues now because you've got people living next to animals and generating diseases that are going to fucking run through your population. Now that has one effect. Hey, you know, it's cutting down that population growth, but it's also undermining the structural integrity of the uh, institutions, ideological, cultural, technological, that actually make the thing run. The actual, like, skeleton of it. The muscle. Not not the superstructure shit. And because you live in the superstructure, where your reality is, our system is just because it is in harmony with God, which is the basic underlying premise, unstated, but expressed different ways culturally. Uh, secular, religious, it's all the same. It could be communism, it could be American exceptionalism, or fucking political Islam. It's the same idea that our way of being is in correspondence with God's will, and that is expressed through nature. Has been since the Reformation, uh, and that and it goes for every post-religious secular person, and every communist, and every everybody is operating on that assumption. And, it can, and so, if you are, if the system itself is destroying its ability to maintain itself, well, then you violated. You've you've committed blasphemy in your heart, and it's very hard to do that. the whole system exists for you to never have the that question brought. that is what ideology does but it also uh, is torn away by circumstance as the destabilization increases that is when class the the reality of class rule becomes more uh, apparent if you start exploiting the slaves too much or even while you're exploiting them, you're getting less out of them and therefore the structures that hold them, like the knives at their back uh uh the the rows of, of of military that is a state expense is no longer affordable, and all of a sudden uh cracks keep begin to show, or conflict between elites for the scraps leaves everybody to not even being paying attention and then not even noticing what the slaves are doing that's the good uh, Haiti is a good example for that yes, of course I'm saying all modern this is what I'm saying all modern famines are man made going Every class society famine is man-made in the sense that it is in conditions of these, this de- unstable relationship with the environment because you can't move. You cannot accommodate changes in weather in a specific place. You can't all just sort of get out of the way of Mother Nature's fickle whims. You're planted. You're, str- you're set up. And that means that when the food goes away, you're going to have to mostly stay there and try to extract more from it, and some of you are going to die. And who's
1: going to die most? Those at the bottom, because they have the least power. But those are some of the things that over time eat away at the legitimacy of your state. And then it collapses.
0: And now we're in the first time in human history where uh, there there is no exterior thing that we're bumping against. Like up until you could argue 1991, capitalism is still bumping against something else. The same way that you know that the the King Dynasty uh, bumped up against uh, Mongolia, uh, and even a, could bump against England and uh, and and the United States and France. Uh, there's nothing to bump against. It is a global system. So the the the, the crisis we're seeing are ones that uh, cannot be resolved by a collapse that is then to the benefit of all those neighboring states, right? Like, a collapse leads to local power being maintained because at the local level, people are self-sufficient, enough to keep their heads and keep their social structure. Like, the collapse of the Roman Empire, for example, is really the collapse of a trade network. The local centers of power basically stayed intact some cities got rampaged you know ravaged by the the goths or something but for the most part those those germanic tribes just became the new tributary uh uh warlords of a system that was still basically intact at least in southern europe um like one of the big cultural conflicts that you see emerge in medieval europe is between those areas that maintained relatively robust social structures uh after the collapse of the roman empire like southern france uh, and Northern Italy versus the more uh feral uh, northern sector, including of course England, where the collapse of Roman power was essentially overnight and total uh as opposed to the much more gradual process that was in some places basically undetectable uh that you saw in southern europe and i could th- I honestly think you could you could trace the conflict in france uh the conflict between uh the different parts of of, of the, the the french lands that ended up being knit into one thing the, the 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 south which became which was the uh the south which was the uh headquarters of the albigensians the cathars who were one of the first big heretical sects of medieval uh christianity the first crusade ever declared was against the albigensians uh they were massacred uh, famously, when the when the cardinal sent his troops in to massacre the the final holdouts, he said uh, he said, "Kill them all; God will know his own." Which is the first, "Kill them all; God God sort of out thing." Uh, so you had more of a trade society versus Northern France, where you had this very quick reemergence of like warlord uh, military rulers who just imposed this this purely extractive uh uh relationship with with uh subsistence and, and uh surplus farmers and then that you know carries on into modern european or modern french uh history but anyway this is all to say uh it's this medium state conflict these these more and more powerful more and more technologically innovative more and more advanced societies Banging into each other in a search to stabilize the the crisis-ridden heart of their system by extracting more, because it's all they can do. And our crisis is, feels different and is different to the extent that we are getting these first real uh, cracks in the foundation emerging. Now, again, they were there the whole time; they're always there in every system. The question is: to what degree are uh, the crisis ameliorated by? The continued horizon of more profits, we use technology to increase uh, productivity. We use international law to create uh, uh, a fi- the, the most uh, highly arbitraged and uh, socially efficient manufacturing system where the people who have to, where people who make stuff get paid basically nothing, so that people at the other end uh, can
1: consume stuff. But even with that, over time, it breaks up, and the cracks started really accelerating
0: almost immediately. Uh, It's wild. Like, Marx is often uh, made fun of for saying that that there was going to be a, like, while he was writing, in his, he honestly thought in his lifetime, but certainly very close to it, there was going to be a final world crisis capitalist, uh, a world final crisis of infinite capitalism, where... Capitalism goes into final death spiral. It's, 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 it's crisis-ridden heart pumping beyond its capacity and then giving out. But the thing is, first of all, I think it is very interesting that Marx, like Christ, uh, spoke and wrote as though he believed that the uh, millennium would happen in their lifetime. And I think that any real prophet thinks that way. Because why else would you be so fired with prophecy? You know? Like, there has to be a personal stake, an imaginative stake, to keep you invested. If you're that kind of a soul, if you're that much of a mind-on-fire genius, as like Jesus Christ or Karl Marx. But, he was right. World War One, I, I would say the, 30, the second 30 years war, uh, again, we'll be talking next year, early next year, about the first 30 years war. Uh, very excited about that, but uh, we had the second Thirty Years' War as the capstone to capitalism in crisis, just as the first Thirty Years' War had been the capstone to fatally, uh, uh, to uh, terminal feudalism. Feudalism was a terminal crisis. It had been this hybrid dog creature, this inefficient junk rack, for hundreds of years after the Black Death, basically saved it from having to confront its contradictions, because oh yeah, this population problem we have where. We can no longer get any more fucking uh, any more uh, agricultural productivity out of the land than we have. We had get no more uh, coins. We can get no more gold out of the earth to create species to circulate an economy. What are we going to do? Oh, thank you, flagships. Burp. Like this is why the conspiratorial view of history can sometimes be misleading when you look at how beneficial to the capitalists and there were capitalists who lived in uh, high medieval Europe, because all these systems are studded with each other. There's never just one thing. It's just what's the dominant paradigm. And feudalism had been broken up and replaced by this tenant farming system in most of Western Europe, but serfdom was reimposed in in Eastern Europe. Why? Because there was more fucking land.
1: And it limped along, and it started to break up. Its internal
0: structures couldn't hold anymore. The fucking, uh, the Reformation is a, is a part of this. The structures of medieval society, of medieval life, the pace of the medieval life was not consummate with what it, was, what it felt like to actually live in this more and more commercialized society. More and more commercialized, more and more abstracted society. Living, people living in a system that had been designed for the, the medieval pace of life, the fe- I should say, feudal pace of life, because this is no longer feudalism, but feudalism is still the overarching political structure. And so there's this massive conflagration, the Thirty Years' War and its attendant crises, the fucking revolution in England and, and all the revolts in, in Naples and, and France, the Fronde and fucking Spain. This massive paroxysm, what emerges out of it is capitalism, that it breaks the feudal hold. That 17th century is when the feudal the feudal uh, uh, ex- the, 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 the chrysalis breaks away and falls away to reveal the new uh, uh, synthesized capitalism, synthesized on a religion that, on a basis of Protestant religion. I know that Catholicism stuck around, but it was on the losing team. It would not shape the future definition of things. Protestantism would shape the future definition of. Things. Why? Because Northern Europe was speeding up faster than southern Europe. And why? because Northern Europe was more fucking environmentally uh unstable and uh, uh prone to famine and uh and starvation more scarce that 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 definition that that different speed of life is because of scarcity increased scarcity in northern Europe led to more uh abstracted regimes of exploitation. Technologically, in uh, um, the creation of a market space where you could, instead of having to ritualize socially the violence of exploitation, which is inefficient, you put it off onto a market. So it doesn't have to be socially costed. But we can all pretend it's not being created by the system we live in.
1: So that means that they're actually stacking up uh, surpluses in the form
0: of cash and then in the form of uh, abstract instruments of credit. That's a huge thing. And it's all part and parcel to the personalized God of Protestantism that allows... Shit.
1: Sorry, i got to put this in. Okay. You hear me. Okay. Okay. Good. Um. What the thought does they say? So capitalism
0: sets up shop there, and it of course takes. Hundred or so years to achieve hegemony through the, the instruments first of the Dutch Republic and then uh, the British Empire, and it completes that job by the mid nineteenth century. Uh, by the, that's when you see things like the uh, Taiping Heavenly Kingdom in uh, China and the Civil War in the United States. That's why you see the war, the, the fucking forty eight revolutions. Before that, this is the this is the moment when Marx was there. It was the imminent, the eschaton of global capitalism, not yet as one, uh, as a global system, but as a system that could compete with other systems and at a, a rate vastly more efficient than any of them. And it would force all of their competing states, all of them, to adopt their policies. That is the moment that Marx was there for. And Marx saw at that rate, even with colonial exploitation, the competition between the States of Europe, as they grew in power and grew in technological sophistication and immiseration at the heart of their uh, systems as they have to create more and more proletarians to work in more and more exploitive conditions to fuel the system they will come to conflict because the boom and bust will eventually become uh, unstabilizing. And he got, he was correct. Like he died in uh, what, 1881 I think? Or 1888, I believe. And by 1914, like, and if he'd kept a little better care of himself, he might have made it to that old, you know. Uh, But then he wouldn't have been him, you know. If he's out walking around, he's not uh, sitting in the British Museum archives. But anyway, uh, he could have been alive for that. That's within a realistic lifespan. He would have been an old man, but he could have seen it. Uh, And 1914 was it. It was the start of this 30 year paroxysm as capitalism. As soon as it takes power, within 50 years, comes the fatal conflict. But the reason that was not the end of capitalism is because by this point, capitalism had made all these other social formations into mirrors of itself in order to compete with them, which means that you have to have capitalisms outside of Europe. Now, Europe is where it was born, and, and, and Marx couldn't see this because he was a European at the end of the day and he couldn't seem really, he didn't really, He how could he grasp beyond that? Like, he could read a lot about the United States, but he never lived here. Uh, so he didn't know what was happening here. He didn't realize the extent to which the United States was absorbing all the social contradictions of European capitalism and resolving them through the distribution of free real estate and the exploitation of, cl- of, of skin-color slave labor. Racial caste uh, and uh, manifest destiny. These are the these are the missing ingredients that European capitalism could not provide to the center.
1: And that means that these Europe can knock themselves out, but when it's all
0: over, here is this new headquarters to take over from England, and take to us take us to a stage that Marx I don't think ever imagined possible. I mean, I think he did in the long run, but he'd always assumed that it would be interrupted before that could occur by the internal contradictions of capitalism undermining it, which it did. Those not contradictions were not felt the same way in the United States. And the United States, by that point, was able to marshal a continent's worth of resources and therefore be, in a material le- level, in it, able to take on the role of Europe because of their relatively similar economic power within the global system which is mostly filled with um, decaying um, uh, imperial systems in, in the old imperial parts of the world. The parts where there was no small state competition because there was a central imperial authority. And what made that happen, according to Wolfgang uh, or Walter Scheidel, and I agree with him, it was the proximity to steppe nomads. The Chad's Chad, the society that even after everything else got settled, even after the warrior kings came back and dominated the city so they could sit fat and happy uh, and decadent in their in their sedan chairs, they stayed out there. They fucking brought they they grabbed horses and they fucking domesticated them. And then they just fed them on endless grass fields and just lived as warriors. And that threat kept the Chinese, for example. Uh, always focused on a emergency level crisis of imminent annihilation, which meant that all you could have, that meant, for one thing, no feudalism. Feudalism was abolished in China in, I believe, uh, the 200s AD, uh, like, after the consolidation of the first empire, or after, I think, the fall of, like, the first dynasty, 200 BC. They're like, yeah, no, nah, this. These, these fucking dickheads having like sovereignty over their territory in exchange for military on their terms military uh, uh, uh service we're not gonna keep the Mongols away with that bullshit. get out of here whereas nobody can dominate anybody else like that in Europe. Nobody can take over everybody's place. You know, they can come in, they can fight you, they can ravage your territory, but you're still going to be in charge, unless you die on the battlefield, and that's a glorious death. You're not going to be, uh, not going to be exterminated as as a as a social social uh, fiction, which is what uh, a, a a barbarian society operating literally by different rules because of their different relationship to their environment. Their different production method or their their different um mode of production their different their, their uh like their means of production were the weapons of war and their horses because their their all of their efforts went into being best at fighting
1: so that means they could go to a place where people had built stuff and just take it. I'm talking to uh, the Scheidel book, uh, is, uh, Escape from Rome, a very, very good book. I highly recommend
0: um, but the But the stability led to stagnation, as someone says in the comments, uh, because you, there was nothing harnessing all of these ingenious invent innovations that come when more and more minds are working, more brains are together. They're closer. They're able to communicate closer because you get like everything. Printing revolution. You're increasing mind power, but that mind power gets dissipated in a system where a central authority can prevent certain innovations from flourishing, for the because they rightly see them as threatening. In Europe, everybody was going to grab what they could get, and what they grabbed was uh, the. Financial innovations tied to religious innovations that sanctified life in a uh, godless world, basically, that took God out of the world as in the market, made the market a made the market that is the, the world, our social world, uh, a desacralized space and to bring all um, religious uh, conception internally. I am the God. Of course, they would never have said that, but no, that is what they did. Instead of saying, I am embedded in a social organism that is God, I am God, and then there is the social, which is not. It is a a nature where we can do whatever we want, and we can treat our fellow human as bad as we want to because it is God's will. Because if it's doing me good, and I'm God, then I willed it. And of course, for those people whose things aren't going good for, tough shit. You're not in, you're not one of us. You're a loser. You fall out of real existence. The book, again, for next week, thank you for reminding me, is um, The China Boom Why China Will Not Rule the World by Ho Feng Hung. This guy's mad. I also did, I wanted to do something by an actual Chinese person. I'm already already a dang uh, gaijin or whatever. Is there a Chinese word? Is there a Chinese derogatory? Because gaijin is Japanese. Is there a Chinese
1: derogatory term for uh, round-eyed foreigners? Baizu? Guailo? I'm getting getting Guailo and Baizu. I got three Guailos now. Now I got a baizu. It's neck and neck. I'm getting a, a baizu for every guello. Means devil man. That's awesome. Yeah, it is kind of wild. Like think about think this is the thing about that
0: that I find very interesting about about contemporary Asia. Is that you have these societies, like the Japanese uh, and the Chinese, who, for very good reason, Believe themselves to be the center of the world. It was, it was not... Obviously, everybody thinks that they are the center of the world, but they had the best case. They certainly had a better case than anybody in fucking Europe. The ass end of the continent. I mean, it wasn't as barren and, and resourceless as a lot of people like to claim, but compared to life in, in China, it was nothing. Uh, one of the big reasons that the Chinese never really did conquest, discover, uh, uh, exploration, is because they didn't need anything. They didn't need fucking spices. And they had trade networks that allowed them to sell the stuff they did have for stuff that they wanted. And it, uh, A huge chunk, a huge amount of the silver that was pulled out of uh, the, the South American uh, mines by the
1: Habsburgs uh, went to China. For silk. The Middle East also has a very good uh, claim to it, also because of
0: its geographical, literal centrality to that whole area, that whole nexus there. Um, and so their religion reflected that. Like, their no- their folk notions of religion that, like, turned into, you know, like, that's what's so fascinating about China specifically. It's like, you have this central... Uh, imperial authority. But then, at the folk level, you have basically a totally uh, a, a, a a profusion of totally unorganized uh, local folk beliefs. You know, like, you've got Confucianism, you've got Buddhism and Taoism, they're all there, but they're just very loose, like, rubrics for grouping together what are essentially local spiritual phenomena. And I think those things go together, like, in the West, those uh, military states coming out of the collapsing Roman Empire uh require a social dimension of uh of coercion that the uh, Chinese system didn't need to because it was uh, it was a lightly felt hand basically at every point um but all of these religions had in common though is the Chinese people were God, the people of God, whatever you meant by that, just as the the, the, the Japanese uh Shinto traditions and, and, and Japanese Buddhism too. They were the centers. And that meant that the you know the Weibos, the Gaijins, these are devil people. These are people who are not of God. Like the same way the Europeans thought of the, of the infidel other. But in their case, these highly developed social formations that were just as abstract, just as everybody in them was living in basically the same mental universe of, of, of mastery of abstract concepts, uh, have just these devil people
1: show up and then take them, destroy them. It's like, it's very easy to see how uh, the the, the,
0: the The samurai were broken in Japan because how could anybody believe in the old gods of favor when these fucking gringos are showing up in their white ships or black ships and be like, hey, stand and deliver. Oh, man, what if if the Romans had discovered fossil fuels? Holy shit. See, the thing is, you can't get it because those... Those sort of innovations come from basically bottlenecks of capital emerging. Uh, You're getting concentrations of money around and focus and human attention around a specific problem. Uh, And those only occur if the social structure uh, is facilitating that. The state is intervening on behalf of these things. And that is like England. One of the big things that makes them the uh, has, the place where the industrial revolution happened, because yes, they took over from the as like the commercial headquarters of European capitalism in the late 17th, 17th century. But they were not able to. They were. They what made them dominate everybody else in the next two hundred years was the fact that they took those resources and directed them towards these industrial questions that were then a, that the society existed like the liberal the liberal uh marketized society they had allowed for those um those efforts to get immediate reward in the form of patents uh and, and money incentivizing the best minds to get to this specific question because otherwise everyone's going to be going towards their own drummer we're going to get somewhere, but it's not going to be efficient. What capitalism does is it allows the state to say, put money here, put money here, put money here, towards the creation of specific technological breakthroughs in order to compete more effectively. And the British uh, Industrial Revolution, the First Industrial Revolution, is tied directly to the British war effort during the Napoleonic Wars. It was the, it was fighting Napoleon that gave the, uh, the British political system, sufficient incentive to uh, facilitate, deregulate, subsidize the construction of technology, first of war, but then, of course, other applications around war. But war is the, like the health of the state. War is what makes the state. And then the state makes war, as Charles Tilly said. That's, that's correct. But every time it does so it creates greater and greater technology which then is directed to the common use under capitalism by being privatized now this is social this is a social product but it is privatized because of our fantasy ritual world that we live in that is was consecrated really in the roman ethos like capitalism is just the roman conception of right property the Roman world, the Roman uh, eye, among all the competing social structures that existed at that point, the Romans were the first to codify the the values of a society, The values of a society in the conditions of crisis capitalism, or I'm sorry, crisis class rule in in Europe. And it is the European geography that makes it unconquerable after Rome falls. But Rome's operating system, basically, is never overthrown. It is incorporated. The, 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 the texts of the uh, Renaissance... The Church maintains the structure that, that uh, exists of the Roman Empire, the church hierarchy is where the, the Roman Empire retreats, basically, uh, and then, martial and then like military authority is devolved to warlord chieftains, Lombards, fucking Franks, who then organize into uh, social structures dominated from the from the from the middle that can extend their power as far as possible, and so you get the Holy Roman Empire which almost immediately breaks that into pieces because the German part can't hold because it is geographically too unbound. It's unbound the way that France, France is bound to shit. They call it the hexagon. It has, it has five almost perfect natural borders, like either rivers or oceans or the or the Pyrenees. And just like uh, Iberia is a fucking peninsula. Italy uh, Italy's a peninsula. Uh, England is an island. Germany is just this, it's this river, it's these river systems, it's these civilizations dotted along the Rhine or the Danube. It cannot be taken from a middle, like that France can be from Paris, or England can be from
1: London. To this day, you go to Germany, there's no big city. There is no you might think Berlin is like
0: London. Uh-uh. Berlin has like two million people in it. London has like, what? 30 million? Something insane. somebody tell me how many people are in London. I think it's got to be like 20 million at this point. There are two million people in Berlin. But there's like two million people in Frankfurt. And there's a million people in Munich. And there's uh, Well, there's like five million people in Hamburg, which is why Ohio is the Germany of the United States. Because Ohio does not have one big city like Milwaukee or Chicago. It has Columbus, Cincinnati, Cleveland. And like even second-run cities. Uh, like uh, Akron and Toledo, which are like Dusseldorf.
1: And... Uh, yeah, it's a bunch of Milwaukee's. Or I guess
0: Cleveland's. That is the thing that's annoying, though, is because Wisconsin should be the Germany of the United States. It's got I would argue, the most it's the most German influenced state. Uh, And I think the fact that they had the socialist mayors, that they were able to actually take power municipally is proof of that. Because that was the current of German emigre life. The people who left Germany did so because capitalism had fucked them raw. And so they came to America and tried to set it right instead of just trying to make it on their own, like every other fucking card sharp and Irishman who came to these shores. Okay, fourteen million people in the London metro area. Still not as many as I thought, but nonetheless, only two billion in Berlin. But sadly, Wisconsin just has the Milwaukee. It's got Madison, but like that, that just the shape of or. or why does it even kind of shape like Germany? Six okay, six million
1: metro in Berlin. That's ten million. Four million. What? And so that—that's what—that's the machine that
0: took over the world, basically, and we're at the end of it.
1: We the, our, our, our
0: simulated computer world that is, is is supported not by uh, any kind of ritually consecrated human endeavor, but by the uh, unthinking, uh, totally alienated, unconnected to human life, decision cold decisions of algorithm.
1: Ah, the sound is fucked. Goddamn. I really felt
0: like I was on a roll here, but.
1: All right, I'm gonna just avoid. Whatever. I'm fine.
0: But now we're in a situation where there is nobody else to pick up the slack. And I think what happens then is we look backward. And we're like, okay, yes, we can say that we have a globalized capitalism. But, as I said before, every system has embedded within it remnants, undigested remnants of what came before. So, you know, like, there were capitalists in uh, the Roman Empire, even though there wasn't the capitalism. There were capitalists in every society. Uh, there, there was proto-capitalism in the uh the um the Muslim world in the Middle era- in the Middle Ages. Uh and also once capitalism emerges, those old systems still remain in some str- some remnant form, you know, like uh there are still artisans out there. And so that means that if, if the supply chain breaks the way the Romans did, we're left with the same thing that was lo- the Romans were left with. Local power persists, but at the edges, it frays into uh, essentially lawlessness in some respect. And so we go back to the, the, the Roman imperial system with localized trading routes, protected by local structures of power that are then going to negotiate through these uh, whoever is able to command these out uh, the well that's the thing that's the difference so after the Roman Empire collapsed right the local trade networks the local power structures existed in the cities in the south and then it collapsed more fully in the north which This is where, um, you know, the military aristocracy evolves to fight other people for land rather than to cultivate and trade it the way that they were doing in the places that had kept things. And they eventually overthrew and dominated and created uh, feudalism, which is, in a respect, is a progress from the slave society
1: that preceded it. Because hey, at least it's not slaves. You know, they don't own your person. You just are.
0: You re- are required to give them labor as tribute, tributary relationship. So, if we take that analogy to the current moment, who is going to be that uh, that force outside? Uh, and here's the most pressing question: Has technology progressed so much? Since that time, that the walls of the trade networks are going to be
1: essentially impregnable. And so you will
0: have people fighting for the scraps in the exclusion zones where the, the, the trade networks break down and where capital retreats, does a tactical retreat to maintain resources elsewhere. The social base for this thing is going to be decaying rapidly. People are going to be getting spit out the bottom like nobody's business. But much of its operation will be automated. Drones, cameras, Boston Dynamics robots, simple geography, proximity, the creation of... Uh, inaccessible atolls of wealth that then direct the, the remaining people who are getting just enough to stay
1: on the treadmill. And somebody's asking if I, me, and Chris
0: would go to any raves or festivals this coming year. You know, Chris and uh, and his wife Molly are uh, big time uh, ravers and festival heads. They're music heads par excellence, and I respect them and th- their uh, beliefs very much. But I am not much of one of those kind. Standing up that long uh, is a hassle. I'm, I'm a, my back hurts. Uh, I get sweaty, but uh, we did go to the club, we went to like the club, the club type scenario in Miami, and that was very fun, so I'd be willing to go, I'd be willing to uh, to try out a fest, I mean, we did go to uh, Pitchfork, or not Pitchfork, uh, Pickathon, and that was great, I don't
1: know if I can handle a, a rave, though. It seems really loud. Yeah, we went to Club Space, it's called. It was weird. It was
0: called Club Space, but it had sort of like a... Uh, a autumnal, like, forest vibe? I don't know if that was for Halloween or something, but felt like we were in, like, the Ewok village or something. And it was like, why is it called Club Space? Maybe that's it. Maybe it's the Ewok village. In space. Yeah, I wouldn't need earplugs. I only got one ear, so I have to protect it. I don't know if anybody knows that I'm half-deaf. I have to say, though, being half-deaf, that's one of those situations where... Uh, it really is. It seems like it's all or nothing because I technically cannot hear it all out of one of my ears, which means I'm half deaf. But man, I still can hear a lot of stuff. And when I think, when I see deaf people, it's like, damn, they can't hear anything. And I can still hear a lot of stuff. 50%, it's, uh, it's okay. But I do think eventually those batteries are gonna run out. You know, the, 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 the robots are gonna get tired of chasing around in a circle. And then whatever has whatever whatever that people have done to survive in that exclusion zone uh is going to become a stable, uh viable social formation. And it will eventually be able to push open those gates. Unplug the uh, the d- dumbass corpses from the computers from these idiots who like tried to plug themselves. At the end of it, that'll it'll be armies of human liberation marching into deserted uh, uh, compounds and finding some rich dickhead who looks like fucking King Tut, shriveled ass, like with a with like a fucking. Uh, like a USB cord coming out of a spinal cord, spinal column, and into, like, a fucking uh, MacBook. And you open the computer, and there's just, like, an 8-bit
1: guy just going, brurp, brurp. And the hope in every human breast that has to be there,
0: has to be there, is that those people will be able to synthesize everything that had come before them, as those people before that did, but we I mean, come to this point where conceptions of humanity extend to all of humans. I know we like to think that, oh, everyone's racist now, and fascism's back, and nationalism is horrible, but the violence of those systems is a re- rebellion against the deeper truth that cannot be renounced, which is, oh, shit, we are all one thing, fuck.
1: But so class society you can't have that, so it has to be suppressed. I mean, I don't have to sell you on the
0: future thing. It's going to happen or not. You, you just you have to make decisions about what you're going to do with it.
1: Maybe they don't. Maybe they don't figure it out. Maybe they're worse. Maybe they're worse than everybody.
0: And then they 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 dig up the nukes and they destroy Earth completely. Uh, okay. Still. 100,000 years in the future after that. 200,000. Got some fucking, that's right, some fucking squid guys. Some fucking squid creatures who have come to land And are able to use their encounters with our artifacts to uh, harness technology to the social being uh, to uh, to negate the the cancerous uh, conflict-based uh, algorithm at the center of our of our social identities that's been passed out since the fucking Romans.
1: Alright, I think that was good.
0: I've gone pretty long. So next week, we're going to read the first half of the China boom. It's like 60 pages. It's nothing. It's gonna. It goes through like everything until 20, 20, uh, 2000. So I'm expecting a very uh, breezy jaunt through the political economy of early modern China. Which is exactly what I want, as I said. If there's something really interesting specifically I want to get more into, uh, Find another another book, but I think this is a good entry point. The book is The China Boom, Why China Will Not Rule the World, by
1: Ho-Fu-Hong, I believe. What's his name. Ho-Fan the Hung, that's it. All right. Talk to y'all on the flippity-flip.